I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Start Up Podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea, or you're ready to launch something, or you already launched something and you're running full steam ahead. We're here to help with the counterintuitive stuff. On to it. Today, we're going to help you build a product people will share. We're going to start before you've got a product. If you've already got one, that's okay too, but you might have to have a tough conversation with yourself in the mirror if it doesn't meet these requirements. I'm a dad now. No more coddling. I'm coddled out with the newborn and I can't coddle you too. If your business is not going to grow through word of mouth early, your business will not grow at all. And I don't want that for you. I want the other thing, the growth one. Luckily, the mechanics of that are straightforward. Now, back to being a dad for a minute. I am two weeks in, which means I think I'm really in the thick of it. But parents with older kids just sort of laugh when I say that and say something ominous like, oh, you'll see and that they're actually nostalgic for the days I'm in now, which is more than a bit troubling, as I thought this was the hardest part. Feels like being nostalgic for a root canal. Every day is something new, which means every day I'm pinging our experts, my friends who have kids too. But not too old. Anyone over a year ahead of us has forgotten the early days or evolution has pushed it out of their mind so that they're going to consider having more kids. This means our most helpful friends have a kid that's about a month older than ours. They're like the piano teacher who's staying just two lessons ahead of the student. But it works. We'll get back to them later. When you have a kid, you get gifts. I've noticed there are two types of gifts with two types of feedback loops. One makes for a great business. One makes for a terrible one. I'll tell them to you and let's see if you can guess which one is which. First, We've gotten a bunch of beautiful, organic, soft onesies. These onesies have elephants on them or forest scenes or basketball players or llamas. Lots of llamas on baby stuff. Maybe they're alpacas. Anyway, these are the types of onesies that have the tags on them with fancy paper clips, not the plastic loop. They're expensive. They're special. Lots of them are things we love or love to do, bought specifically with us in mind, except the alpacas slash llamas, but those are still cute. These onesies are exclusively from grandparents or relatives or friends without kids. They're beautiful and thoughtful and we appreciate the hell out of them. But let me tell you a story about the last one I put on our son. The little man had decided he wasn't up for a nap and instead he was going to cry after being fed. So I grabbed him and plopped him on the pad on our couch to change him. Maybe he just needed a fresh setup. We've all been there. So he's wailing and screaming, and as I take off his diaper, he unleashes easily a gallon of pee coming right at me as I'm trying to block it with the diaper I was going to put on him. But it's all over the couch and my clothes, and Ruby's there too, and she's crying too because apparently she's a sympathetic crier. And my wife is upstairs asleep because she's been up for like 48 hours straight, and the little guy was supposed to be napping. He finally finishes his assault on me, and I start changing his diaper as he wails and screams some more. Then I grab one of those beautiful onesies. I struggle to cram his legs in as he's whirling them like he's Alex Toussaint, but I finally do. Then I get his arms in and Ruby's now barking and nudging me as if I don't see the chaos in front of me. Then with legs and arms in place, I go to snap the onesie up, but they're buttons? Like actual buttons? Are you freaking kidding me? So I button nine and I counted nine buttons as the legs whirl and he screams and cries and Ruby barks and pee drips from my clothes and I question just about every life choice I've ever made. Then he settles down. 
I take a picture of him in the onesie. In fairness, it couldn't be cuter. And I send that picture to the person who sent it to me, and we exchange a text or two about how cute it is, and I vow to burn the thing in the fireplace the second I take it off in 45 minutes when I do this whole thing again. But I thank them, and they feel good, and that makes me feel good. That is one feedback loop, and perhaps I'm venting a bit. The second feedback loop is simpler. I tell that same story to a friend who's a few months ahead of us, and he says, oh, has no one gotten you the PPTP yet? What about the shusher? I reply that I have no clue what those things are. He says he's ordered both for me, and they'll be at my house tomorrow as per Amazon. When they arrive, the PPTP is exactly what you'd expect. It's a little hat slash teepee thing that sits perfectly on the little guy's little guy to block the P when you change him. It works brilliantly. The shusher is even better. It's an orange plastic device that hangs on the side of the bassinet. You turn the body of the shusher like a kitchen timer and it plays a rhythmic shushing sound for 15 or 30 minutes. The first time I tried it, it turned a wailing baby into a sleeping baby in about a minute. The silence was like the first time I heard the Beatles. I then reached out to all of my friends with babies to make sure that they too had the shusher and the PPTP. They all did, responding with things like, oh, so-and-so got me that week too. It's a lifesaver. Since our first shusher arrived, three more have come in the mail. It seems like most parents send it to their friends who just had kids nearly automatically. That is the second feedback loop. Can you guess which one's better for an entrepreneur? It may seem like the second one is the obvious choice, and it is, but I'd guess that 95% of the startups we meet with pitch us some version of the first product and then are shocked when it doesn't grow. We've got a real blind spot for word of mouth early on, for orchestrating a feedback loop during the early days. For starting with the feedback loop and building for it, not just hoping that one's going to magically appear. Most people start businesses like the organic onesie folks, mostly because they're obsessed with the product. It's beautiful. It's high quality. It's a representation of themselves out in the world. But that usually sacrifices usefulness. More specifically, it dilutes where the thing lives. Humans recommend stuff when it's the most useful solution to a hard problem. The onesie is not that ever. If the problem it's solving is a thoughtful gift from a relative, it's competing against literally everything, from handmade quilts to other personalized gifts to donations in a 529. If it's solving the problem of the most beautiful onesie, then it's competing against all of the most talented craftspeople in the world. Screw that. Way too hard, way too subjective. The onesie is not useful. It won't be recommended, and I shudder thinking of the poor person who is hand-sewing these onesies with the books looming over them as their company treads water. The shusher and the PPTP are the opposite. They are useful solutions to a specific problem, something we can easily recommend, something we'll feel good about recommending. So they grow and grow and grow, just like my son, and just like your business can too, if you go about it the right way, which we're going to do after a word from this week's sponsor. This episode of Idea to Start a Podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Build. That's B-Y-L-D-D dot com. They're a development agency that helps early stage startups build and launch scalable, revenue generating software businesses. Development from non-technical founders and teams without a tech person on them is the massive elephant in the room that just sits there judging you while you run all of your customer work and intent tests. And once you've validated your idea and you know that customers want what you've decided to build, you've got to figure out how to build it. That's where things get sticky. You probably don't have 100K to throw at a huge creative agency. And even if you did for your first product, you probably shouldn't. 
You might roll the dice on Upwork and it might work, but you'll need to project manage the whole thing. The cost will be a black box and I cannot stress enough the might in that first sentence. For 10K and roughly a month of work, Build will get your validated product up and out. We've advertised Build a few times and the one question we've been asked is, can companies that work with them end up growing big? The answer is absolutely. They've worked with companies that have gone on to Y Combinator and raised money at 10 figure valuations. Build is the way to get your first product built and that product can lay the infrastructure and the foundation for any size company. Head to build.com to talk to Ayush. That's B-Y-L-D-D.com and tell him you heard about it through Idea to Startup. Back to it. Write the ending first. Whenever I'm done with Tacklebox and startup stuff, I'm going to shift careers wholesale and go into writing. Books, screenplays, that sort of thing. So I spend a ton of my free time now learning the frameworks real writers use. One of the big lessons of writing that we all subconsciously know but maybe don't appreciate is that the writing of every great book or screenplay or story starts with the twist. The moment that the story builds towards, the character growth, the leap, the reason the thing deserves to be a story in the first place, the reason the writer is spending time on it, the thing people will talk about. Writers and producers and agents all know something that most startups need to learn. The only way something grows big is through the compounding growth created by word of mouth. And what people talk about is predictable. Start with the soundbite, see if it's shareable, then backfill and build the content only if that soundbite was something people would share. Validation of growth comes before you write the content, and it's a good predictor of success even before that content is written. A good shell makes the rest inevitable. Think about the shows people recommend to you that you end up watching. They all have jobs. You could categorize them and deploy them when the moment fit. Last week, I talked about the show alone. My in-laws shared it with my wife and I by describing the competition in a few words. 10 people with incredible survival skills alone on a mountain with grizzly bears. The last one standing gets 500 grand. It is very clear what we would be getting into by watching that show, even without knowing anything about the contestants. I know that the landscape's going to be beautiful, that the character arcs are going to be about resilience, that a few unexpected people are probably going to last longer than I think, and that someone is going to win. The story is about human growth. The leap is incredibly compelling. And when it's winter and cold and dark and I've got a newborn and I can't go outside, the show is going to go outside for me. To make a decision, you need to understand what it is you're deciding on. If someone tells me that a show they watched was beautifully written, I don't really know what to do with that. I can't decide if I want to watch it or not just from that description. My brain power is spent thinking how beautifully written translates into the moment I'd actually be sitting on the couch watching it. What is it that I want out of it? On the other hand, alone is easy to describe. It's easy to understand, and that means it's easy to decide on. People get mad at me for this. Sometimes a story doesn't fit into a seven-word pitch, they'll say. Sometimes a startup can't be explained in seven words. It's too complex. Cool. But then it's not going to grow, it's not going to make any money, and it won't really change anybody. Boundaries are critical for growth, especially early on before you've got social proof. And I push back hard on the idea that creative stuff can't be simplified down. I think that's really just a case of the person not being able to choose what's actually important and have the discipline to focus on it. Back to your startup. The current landscape for growing an early stage startup is a bloodbath. Social ads, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn are 10 times more expensive than they used to be and about one one hundredth as effective. 
The Apple privacy policy changes, which are good for society on the whole, make it nearly impossible to target your ads the way you used to, even 18 months ago. TikTok and niche podcasts and newsletters are the only growth channels that are really working for our startups, but you've got to know the niche podcasts and newsletters your customers are at if they are at any of them, or be good at TikTok for those things to work. Both are hard. Growing your business through paid channels is infinitely tougher than it used to be. The way you're going to grow is your very first customers telling other people about what you're up to. So let's figure that out. Let's talk about what people share. Moments. People don't think of their lives in terms of products or even problems, but in terms of moments. That is how our memory works. I've talked about Sapiens, I believe, three pods in a row now, and what the hell, let's make it four. The superpower that allowed humans to evolve was our ability to tell stories. That is what we do, how we think, how we share. Unfortunately, most startups ignore it. I mentioned that I've received the shusher multiple times as well as the PPTP, which couldn't be any more fun to say. I'd even pause the podcast and try it out, unless you're on the subway or something. Last week, the last sentence of the pod was asking people how to get a two-week-old to sleep. I sort of asked it as a joke, but in response, got the most listener emails we've ever gotten, and it's not close. People love to help you solve hard problems. Put a pin in that. Here are a few examples of those emails. Quote, you need to get taking care of babies. There's a newborn online class that'll teach you how to build a sleep system for your kid. It's perfect for the minute you get your head above water and have a little bandwidth to start structuring your baby's day. Another suggestion for taking care of babies. The program Taking Care of Babies is a lifesaver. Get the first five months bundle. It'll give you a system to follow so that you can have them sleeping through the night by month two. Start it like week three. Thank me later. An email on the shusher. Quote, the shusher is perfect for calming down babies when they start crying when you put them in the bassinet. You know, that moment when you pay someone 10,000 bucks to shut them up so you can get some sleep. Here's one on the Ollie, which is a swaddling tool. Quote, the Ollie is for the moment you realize you can't swaddle your baby like the nurses did. It's Velcro and it's stretchy and it's impossible to screw up. It makes the nap routine 10 times easier. It keeps them asleep. I got recommended these three products over and over in emails and the moments stayed consistent. People were eerily similar on how they described the value, all in terms of these moments. They told stories. One described her worst night before finding the shusher in a bag of hand-me-downs, not knowing what it was, but trying it, only to have her baby conk out like a coconut hitter in the head, using those words. Taking care of babies solved for the moment two weeks in where you finally had a little bit of a handle on stuff and wanted to be more strategic. The shusher solved for the moment when the baby was crying and wouldn't stop, but you needed some freaking sleep. The Ollie was for the moment right before nap time, when you were doing everything you could to ensure that the kid would go down and stay down. Tackling a hard problem is a series of moments, and the products I was recommended definitely attacked one, specifically and surgically. The story around the Shusher illuminates this. It's on their website, but I've also been told it by four different people. The story itself is worthy of sharing because of how relatable it is and how important the problem is to solve. Basically, two parents couldn't get their kid to sleep. There's a bunch of articles out there about shushing, how long, loud shushes with short breaks in between relaxes kids. And it works, but it's exhausting. You have to literally stand over your kid and shush them like you're a librarian. Shout out Mrs. Borman, who was my high school librarian and was the absolute best. So the dad got an audio recorder and recorded 10 minutes of himself shushing. He then put that recorder in the crib and played on a loop, and it worked. And after that, they built the shusher. 
and they've sold a few million for their trouble. Focusing on a specific problem that's painful and urgent allows customers to tell stories with them as the lead and your product as the supporting character, the thing that helped them make that all-important jump. So back to you. There are some questions that you need to answer before you go out building stuff. First, what moment do you live in? To choose the moment you'll focus on, you need to know your customer's flow, how they solve the larger problem you'll help them solve, and what specific roadblocks they hit along the way, and which roadblock you'll focus on. This is a great place to think about the hassle premium. I watched the movie Up in the Air the other day when the little guy wouldn't sleep, and if you haven't seen it, it's George Clooney doing some of his best work as someone who fires people for an employer. No one wants to fire their employees, so they hired Clooney to do it for them. The moment you focus on needs to have that type of hassle premium. Your customer needs to be willing to pay whatever to solve it. When my baby is crying at two in the morning, I would pay someone a lot of money to have them stop. Would your customer pay someone a huge premium to handle the moment you're going to target to take it off their plate? Do they do this already? Maybe they already have a consultant or a different product. Can you help them do it 100 times better? Start by picking the customer you've spoken with who is your best possible lead. This should be a real person or company, not a fake persona. Map out exactly how they solve the bigger problem now with the actions that they take and the emotions that they feel. Pick the place where you're going to live. Ideally, it's the biggest problem with the highest set of emotions. Would they pay you lots of money if you just appeared out of thin air, solved the problem, and then disappeared? Don't leave this to chance. Send them an email. Test out your messaging. Some version of, quote, what would you pay me to stop your baby from crying at two in the morning? You're going to want to narrow in on this as tightly as you can. Competitors are definitely going to exist if you're solving a real problem. Get specific to the exact customer. Don't be better than the competition. Be different. Zoom in so you can. I usually get pushback here. You might be even scoffing as you listen, maybe on a subway. Most products people use don't solve a problem they would pay someone to solve if the product didn't exist, you might say. And you're right. And I'd argue that those problems are not problems worth your time. Pick a problem and a customer that have the potential for a real leap. Otherwise, what's the point? Next question. Who do your customers talk to? Parents talk to parents constantly. Do your customers speak with each other? If so, when? Where? If they don't, can you narrow in and pick a customer that does? Maybe you're building a tool to help college students transfer. Maybe these people naturally don't all talk to each other, but is there a subset that does? People transferring for a specific reason? Athletes, people looking for specific programs, people after specific types of grants or scholarships? people who all run into the same unique problem you can solve. Maybe there are mentors that talk to lots of these students that are actually your customers, hub and spoke models that you can tap into. Last question, what is the level jump that you're creating and how will your customers describe it? The Shusher helps me jump levels from a tired, frustrated, exhausted dad with a crying baby to a guy getting a good night's sleep. What's the level jump you create for your customers? What happens when you solve this moment for them? Describe it. You were here. You're going to help them get there. What's that mean? If the problem you're solving is both frequent and urgent, you'll give your customers lots of opportunities to talk about that problem and share your product. Knowing how these conversations happen and whether your customer is primed to share your product before you build it is critical. Relying on other growth channels makes your life infinitely harder and success far less likely. This all might seem kind of obvious, but 
I am constantly thrown off by how easy it is for founders to overlook mistakes they're making that they point out in a millisecond in someone else's startup. It's one of the reasons I think it's absolutely critical for founders to be in some sort of group or cohort with other founders that they're helping build and honestly critiquing. It is sometimes a great way to force yourself to look in the mirror. If the thing you're building isn't solving a problem that's important enough that people would shout from the rooftops that, holy hell, you finally solved it, then again, why are you doing it? Your time is worth more than that. Keep searching. And lots of times this just means narrowing in. Find the small set of customers that need this thing solved, solve it for them, then move to the right on the adoption curve to the folks that aren't in quite as big of a pickle. The beauty of those folks is that you won't need to convince them. Your successful first customers will do that for you. Make sure the thing you're building is worth sharing. Make sure your customers are willing to share it. Narrow in until they do. Sometimes this is going to take a little rooting around. Then, once you've found it, go. And if you need some help getting to that problem or figuring out if that customer will actually share or just getting started, head to gettacklebox.com and apply. The code HOLIDAY will only work for folks that apply before January 17th, but it'll get you 50% off your first month. Have a great week.